0: Would you take your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, we'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 2, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up in up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against uh, you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the sake, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. But as bond servants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants be submissive to your masters with fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, what a privilege it is for us to come before your throne. We know without your word, we could never understand what it means to stand before the throne. Thank you for your word. And for the message of love, grace, and wisdom that it gives us. You tell us we will understand when we fear you, O Lord. We gain knowledge and understanding through you. You alone give wisdom, knowledge and understanding are the desire of our hearts. Open our hearts and minds to see the truth, to know you as your, our creator and sovereign Lord. In Christ's name, amen. entitled this sermon Experientially Applying Your Salvation As reformed believers we don't want anything to do with experimental religion We're not trying to find what works We already know what works, God's truth What we want to do is take that truth and apply it to our lives in such a way as to have a profound impact on how we live Peter has throughout this first chapter been telling us how we are saved and how our salvation can make a difference in our lives. He says we are to live holy lives because our God is holy. We are to live our lives in such a way as to esteem God and to live our lives for God. This all sounds really great, but it leaves us with one very important question. How do we do it? Throughout chapter 1, Peter has exhorted us to be holy, and he continues this in chapter 2. He reinforces this call with several important reasons. He also brings these out from the foundation upon which Christianity is built, Jesus Christ. He begins this chapter with the means through which we are enabled to carry out this call given in God's word. He has, in the last few verses of chapter one, laid before us the great need we have to love one another. He says this is an indispensable element of Christ—a Christ-like life. He also spoke about the word, calling it an uncontrollable seed, an incorruptible seed, and showing its place of importance, saying it stands forever. As believers, we are called by God, chosen from before the foundation of the world. This calling was for a purpose. It was to mold us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be witnesses for him. While we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, we're given responsibilities in this life. This is where Peter comes now to a list of some of our responsibilities as followers of Jesus Christ. Please remember... These are not requirements for our salvation. They are expressions of our new and unchanged heart. Our new and changed heart. Without these things visibly showing through our lives, then we have no grounds for assurance of salvation. God changes your heart from stone to flesh, and your spirit is made alive. You are then given the Holy Spirit to guide you into this new life. You could say that your whole focus on life is changed. So that you know the sin in which you are living and how now understand the holiness to which you have been called. This is where the term experientially comes in. You are to take the truths of God's word, those things proven by Christ's life, and live your life under them. Jesus proved the validity of the law in regard to God's acceptance of those who work hard at keeping it. Peter now calls all believers to take hold of these truths and not to let them go for any reason. He says first, lay aside all evil practices and he gives a list of those most heinous ones. Then he instructs all believers to desire with all their hearts the word of God and the truth it brings. Last he says, through these two things you can come and taste the fruits of faith. In your life, he begins by calling all believers to lay aside evil. Verse 1 Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, why should you do this? Because you have heard the gospel preached. You have come unto the word of God and know that these things are evil. This is a part of that sanctification by the Spirit and to obedience. He spoke of in verse 2 of chapter 1. This is a part of living your life in holiness. You're to do this because this is the way in which you emulate God's holiness. You're called to put off any and everything that is evil. Strip it away as you would a soiled and completely ruined piece of clothing. Throw it away with indignation, never to be used again. He gives us a few examples of the sins to be thrown away. Please understand this is not an exhaustive list of the sins you should avoid, but only a sample. But it is a sample that is representative of all sin. He begins with malice, which is more representative of a general wickedness. James says it a little differently. James 1.21 Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here, James agrees with Peter. It is the hearing of the gospel that is important in the continuing of this process of salvation by showing you the evil of this world and guiding you into avoiding that evil. This idea of writing oneself, oneself of malice is very much in line with Peter's call to love one another. How can you love anyone against whom you are holding anger? This is the heart of most troubled people between people. Malice is one of the roots that disturb the peace. You must do everything you can to remove any anger you hold against anyone. Else, how can you fulfill this call to love others as your Lord has loved you? To begin doing this, you must first examine your own heart in the light of God's word. You must see your sin against God. And remember... Christ came and paid the price for you, a price you could never afford to pay for yourself, a price that allows you to gain the forgiveness of your sins from God. Here is a very important question to ask yourself. Do you dare treat others with less compassion than Christ has treated you? Look at what Jesus did for you. He came into this world, That was filled with sin. He allowed men of his own creation to take him. Nail him to a cross where he suffered and died. He was buried in a grave for three days and nights. He paid the price for your sins with his blood. He came back to this world to build his church. Which is still persecuted. Because evil men cannot stand the truth. He did all of this for you. What have you done for your brother in Christ? The second sin he mentions is deceit. He makes sure you understand this includes all deceit. This again shows us the representative nature of his work and his words. Deceit is inclusive of flattery, falsehood, delusion, seduction, slander, and treachery. It's anything. It takes on the appearance of truth so as to deceive another. Paul encounters such a deceit in Acts 13, 10. He was trying to deliver the gospel to a man and is confronted by a sorcerer. This guy doesn't just do it one time. He stays with him, following him around, trying to interrupt. Here Paul's rebuke to this man. Acts 13, 10. Oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord. Strong words against a strong deceit. There is no greater deceit than that which tries to destroy the truth of God's word. This is what Peter is calling you as a believer to lay aside. You must put away any and all ideas that do not perfectly line up with God's word and the holiness of your Lord. How many times? How many times have you stood face to face with a deceitful man? Do you have the courage to do that? Are you able to stand up for the name of Jesus Christ? Have you stood in courage against the lies of those trying to pervert the gospel? How important is the gospel to you? Can you give of all you have to defend what Christ has done for you? He next mentions hypocrisy. In the Greek, the word is plural, making it a broad stroke, catching all sins associated with counterfeit religious piety. In general society, hypocrisy is a counterfeit friendship where one might play the part of a friend in order to gain something personally. Hypocrisy in the religious realm is pretending to be something you are not, such as a believer. Jesus explains this in Matthew 157 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Anyone, anyone who makes up rules, anyone who uses their own imagination to worship God, as opposed to following his word on how to worship and live this life, is a hypocrite. I don't care how spiritual they may appear to be. God has called his people to hear and understand his word and to live an obedient life. You cannot remove from God's word anything, and you cannot add to his word anything, lest you become a hypocrite. The fourth sin, he says, you must avoid is envy. Proverbs 37:1 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. In envy, according to Matthew Henry, this is a really great definition. Envy is grieving at the good and welfare of another, at their abilities, prosperity, fame, and successful labors. This has to be a very hard sin to deal with. There is not a single person here this morning has not looked at another person and thought, I sure wish I had what they have. That is in itself is not envy, but it is the ground in which envy takes root and grows. Envy is to hate someone because they have something you want. Here again is where you have to really examine your heart in the light of God's word and understand what you have is what God wants you to have. God is sovereign. He is the one in control and the giver of all good gifts. You are where you are. You have what you have. And you are lacking what you lack because it is God's will. Hebrews 13, 5-6 tells us about dealing with this sin. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can a man do to me? To avoid envy, you must place all of your trust in God and him alone. Can you not see how this strikes at the heart of what this gospel is teaching? The gospel is calling you to hear the message of the Savior. To turn to him and put all your trust in him alone. There is no way to come to God in heaven than to come through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you need to do your best to be imitators of your Lord. To show through your actions what Jesus Christ means to you. The last sin he mentions is slander of every kind. James tells us the tongue is like a spark that sets an uncontrollable fire. Paul in Romans 1 puts the command Who slanders in the company of gossips, faithless, heartless, ruthless men and God-haters. Those who would seek evil of someone else just to destroy their reputation. How can a man love his brother and speak evil of him at the same time? He can't. Therefore, if you believe in Christ and understand the sacrifice he has made on your behalf, you cannot speak evil of anyone. For to do so is to speak against this very one who gave himself for you. Does not the scripture say he did all he did for us while we were still sinners? Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we are called the imitators of our God, the sin of slander cannot be part of our lives. It must be avoided. Please note, Peter does not tell you to struggle against these sins. He says flat out to lay them aside as you would a soiled and worthless garment. The call is to get rid of these things from your life. Paul has told us to put off the sinful nature and replace it with the nature of Christ. Put off the old man and put on the new man. How do we do this? This is what Peter writes to tell us. He explains the only way we can begin this process. Verse verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I want you to take note here that Peter says in the NIV, you may grow up in your salvation. This once again shows us that our salvation is a process. You begin by being born again. Then you begin to grow from the infant into a fully mature believer. He also makes clear what brings this growth, the pure milk of God's word. This is the same thing Paul teaches in 2 Thessalonians 2.13b. God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Peter wants his audience to understand the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit in building them up in this Christian life. God is sovereign. He's sovereign in your regeneration. He's sovereign in your sanctification. His sovereignty doesn't stop. It keeps going to both. He is like the mother who provides the milk to make the baby grow. There's really only one thing a newborn baby knows, and that is his basic needs. As a newborn spiritual baby, you should know your need to grow in the understanding of God's truth. He says, crave pure spiritual milk. This means you desire with all your heart the truth of God's word. Once a heart is opened by God's grace, the desire is implanted to know more about this wonderful relationship. Peter makes it clear that even though the desire is planted by God in the new believer's heart, there's a responsibility seek out that truth. You have to want it with every fiber of your being. This is just another proof of the new heart. Those who don't have a new heart find the word of God to be an odor of death. The believer finds it to be a savor of life. Now let me ask you, which is it for you? Without this spiritual milk, this word of God, there's no way you can grow into a mature and confident believer. You can never have any assurance of salvation apart from the growth in God's word. The word of God was given to teach you about this wonderful salvation given you in Jesus Christ. It is the means through which God works in your life to bring you to himself. Jeremiah tells you how important these words are in Jeremiah 15:6. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah ate these words. He took them into his heart, and they became a part of him and helped him to grow. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. Understand, there is no way to enter into heaven apart from believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Yes, God is sovereign, and he is without question in control of this world. But he has given us the scriptures, and in them he has revealed the only way into eternal life. The scriptures speak clearly. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Salvation, apart from Jesus Christ, is not taught in the Bible. Salvation, apart from from hearing and understanding the Word, is not taught in the Bible. There is only one way to be saved, and that by hearing and believing The gospel message. The message that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I beg you to hear this message. To pay attention to what it says about you and your need. You're a sinner lost and without hope apart from Jesus Christ. The only way you can have any hope of entering heaven and spending eternity with God Is through faith in Jesus Christ. You must desire with all your heart to learn more of this wonderful good news. You must seek out the spiritual milk of God's word in order to grow in your relationship with your God. The desire to do this is one of those gracious blessings and evidences God gives to his people. You cannot have confidence of salvation without a love for God's word. His word is the truth about what saves you. All true believers will love his word and will want to grow in their knowledge of its message. I pray everyone under the sound of my voice has made it a part of their life to study and follow the word of God. It is the only place, the only place you can find the strength and courage to take your stand on this glorious message of hope. In verse 3, Peter comes to the heart of our title This morning, experientially applying your salvation. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now that your heart has been changed, your spirit made alive, and the Holy Spirit has entered your heart and made you his temple. Now, now that the word of God has come alive and you have heard its call and recognized your need and seen that Jesus Christ alone can meet that need. Now that you have tasted this wonderful gospel milk, I'm sure that some of you have had the, the care of a baby animal that could not yet feed itself. Little things that have don't have a mother. They have to be fed with a bottle. Sometimes you will take have to take to some have have to take some of the milk and, and put it on your finger and place it on the lips and, and on their tongue. Once they get a taste of it, Then they will take the bottle. This is exactly what Peter is referring to. Once God has worked in your heart and spirit and you get a taste of this wonderful grace and mercy he is offering, you'll not stop coming to his word until you're full. The interesting thing about taste as opposed to the other senses is that you cannot taste something until it is on your tongue. Now, you can smell or see or hear something at a distance. To feel something does not require it coming into your body, but to taste something. To taste something means it has to enter the body. To know the Word of God, it has to penetrate your innermost self. This is the application of God's truth experientially. You have to take that truth in and let it work from your heart outward. Peter says, you must lay aside these evil things that come from an evil and hard heart. You must take and desire the word of God, and you must begin to grow in understanding it and let it mold your life. It is the fruit planted in your heart by this. It is the fruit of faith. The new heart comes with two gifts ready to be applied to your life. They are the fruits of faith and repentance. What is it Peter is calling believers to do? To believe on the message of salvation given in Jesus Christ and to turn away from evil practices. He is calling for faith and repentance. The message from Peter is a wonderful expression of the eternal hope we're promised in Jesus Christ. He begins by declaring that our salvation is the sole work of a sovereign God. But, he also makes clear the moral responsibility of each and every believer. You are not called to salvation and then abandoned and to adrift in this evil world to fight the battle of faith on your own. You are given by a gracious and good God everything you need to win this battle. You are to be completely and perfectly sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, You have to work to do. do. You have work to do. It's not a work that earns from God anything. It's a work that shows the grace of God in your life as you experientially apply the grace you're given to every area of your life. This is the tasting that God is good. It is the taking in of all the wonderful things God has prepared for you. It is using them to esteem God and in living for him on a daily basis. Our God is indeed a good God. He is gracious beyond compare. He has reached down and touched you and shown you the goodness of what he offers. For the one who will taste of this goodness such that it becomes a savor of life, he with all his heart desires to continue receiving this most sweet and nourishing word. He is assured that the fruits of faith will grow and make his life Wonderful blessing to all. The heart of what Peter is saying to all believers in the first part of this letter is that salvation is much more than just a new heart. It is a new heart, but it also includes a new life and a new record before God. Your old heart of stone is replaced with a new heart of flesh. You are born again, made into a new creation and set on a new path. You are given a new life with new desires and wants, new concerns and goals, and with a new power to accomplish those things. You have a new and clean record before God. No longer is it filled with sin after sin, but now it is constantly revised to reflect the trust you place in Jesus Christ and the work he accomplished in his perfect life, atoning death and resurrection victory. There has never been such a message as this given to men. A message that offers to all men a different path to follow. A message that says, yes, you can be saved from the darkness of bondage and bondage of sin. A message that offers hope of something far greater than your imagination can comprehend. What must you do to have the hope offered in this message? It is really very simple. Hear the call of God, recognize yourself as a sinner, and call out to Jesus Christ with a broken and contrite heart. He promises that all who are called, he will hear and will come to them and work in their hearts. He will mold them into his image that they might live with him for eternity. This message was filled with the sins you need to avoid. It was called a life Of experientially applying your salvation, experientially living your life, is living it in the grace and mercy of God. Only then can you deal with these sins Peter has talked about. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you because we believe and trust in your word and promises. We know the day of judgment is coming. We know you have told us it is not for us to know the times or dates you have met set by your authority. You have told us we will receive power through the Holy Spirit so we can go forth as you witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Minister in our hearts today, Father, and strengthen us in our resolve to hear your word and carry it into this lost and dying world. Prepare us for the work. You have called us to do, that we might be prepared for the day of the Lord when it comes. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.